Welcome to the Rated Rabbi Sports Card Podcast, where sports cards and pop culture meet the 1984 All-Star Game. I am your host, Rabbi David Spinrad, and welcome to episode 24 and Joe DiMaggio. Come back from commercial, but before Al sets the defense for the American League, just a brief word about this podcast. This podcast uh, was inspired by and is inspired by an 80-card master set of the 1984 All-Star Game, the starters, the coaches, actually the whole rosters, the coaches, the announcers, the two who threw out the first pitch, the honorary captains, and in the seats. Joe DiMaggio. Getting back into cards, of course, like for for most of us, has made me just amazingly nostalgic, remembering things I had completely forgotten, taking me back to time and place and some really, really, really good memories. And one of those great memories was the 84 All-Star Game. My dad took me, took my brother, the game at the stick, in early episode, I ran down a little bit about the experience, including I showed you my ticket stub from section 55, way upstairs, dead center field, almost out of the stadium, but not quite. We were there. It's a great memory. Man, 13 years old, and baseball was everything to me. I knew all the players. I knew all the stats. I had all their cards. And I was putting together this 80-card master set of the 84 All-Star Game, and doing this podcast has given me a chance to relive some of those fantastic, awesome memories. You know, when it comes to collecting, I want to, I want to really want a great collection, and uh, to have a great collection, I can think of uh, lots of different descriptions of what makes a collection great. But I think there are there are two principles. Uh, the first one being the adage. In the end, what you collect is yourself. I want a collection that reflects me, my life experiences, the players and the teams and the memories. You know, I want to collect myself and how I collect. I also want to be a reflection of me. And I want my thinking to be clear. I don't want there to be a lot of a lot of waste. I want to be focused and directed. I want everything to, to fit together. And that's actually really the second principle. Right. The second principle, the first is I want to collect myself. The first is I want a collection that makes sense to me. I don't want to build your collection. I don't want to build their collection. I don't want to put together what they're telling me I should buy. I want my cards and my collection that reflects me. I want to feel good about it. Something small and beautiful. I don't need to have the biggest collection to be happy I don't need to have the one worth the most amount of money and God knows that'll never happen. I just want a collection that makes sense to me. This, I said, is episode 24 and Joe DiMaggio, and this episode celebrates the coming together of all of it. Today, we get to share the 80th and final card in that master set, and we'll do that in just a few minutes. But first, Al... Sets the defense, starting with Rod Carew at first base. At second base is Lou Whitaker. Over at short is Cal Ripken, the reigning American League MVP, member of the 83 World Series champion Baltimore Orioles. Ripken 
is also in the midst, having played every inning in 1983 and having played every inning thus far at the 84 All-Star Game. Ripken is in the middle of what would become an 8,264-inning streak. 82-64 consecutive innings. We all know about the 40. 40 was a 41-92. I'm terrible with those numbers. When he broke that streak of uh, consecutive games, broke the Iron Horses. Remember the, the warehouse out there in Camden and right field? And they would put the numbers up there on the wall. But no one talks about the consecutive inning streak, which is just remarkable. 8,264 consecutive innings began in June of 1982 and ended mid-September 1987 when his father, his dad, took him out. Sorry, son. His dad took him out managing Baltimore at that time, September 1987, over five consecutive seasons. Ripken played every inning, finally replaced by Ron Washington. That's a good little bit of trivia for you. <laughs> At third base is George Brett, left field, Dave Winfield. In center field, Chet Lemon. Did you know Chet Lemon and teammate Lou Whitaker uh, are Jehovah's Witnesses? I did not know that until I, until I did a little deep dive into Jehovah's Witness and Lou Whitaker and Chet Lemon. We're not going to talk about Jehovah's Witness theology for today. That's a conversation for another sports card pop culture podcast, but not this one. But did you know that Jehovah's Witness, I didn't know this until I read about Lemon and Whitaker, they they um, they didn't use stand for the national anthem. They said it was against their religious beliefs that they owed their allegiance to God and not the flag. Lemon is quoted as saying, "Think about what's being said: the rockets' red glare, the bombs bursting in air." He continued, "We don't believe in war, and we don't salute war." I had no idea. You know, with all of the, the noise around Kaepernick's protest, taking a knee during the anthem, this somehow this one completely evaded me. Lemon and Whitaker, Jehovah's Witness, didn't used to stand for the anthem. So Jehovah, what is Jehovah? Jehovah is a pronunciation of the unpronounceable. Scholars same idea, same approach to the unpronounceable, but they say Yahweh. Whether it's Jehovah or Yahweh, this is what they're talking about. Check this out. They're talking about the unpronounceable four-letter word of God, the unpronounceable name, the Tetragrammaton, it's called in academia. I put it up on the screen, the four letters, the Yud, the hey, the vav, and the hey from the right to the left. Now, it's said back in ancient times when the temple still stood in Jerusalem, that the name was pronounceable. Nowadays, when a Jewish person encounters that in a sacred text, the yud, hey, vav, hey, what we say is we say Adonai, which means our Lord. That's not what it actually says. The thing is, there's no way to know how to pronounce this word. So Jehovah, that's a guess. Yahweh, an academic guess. We Jews, we say Adonai, our Lord. But in the ancient temple, it was known 
And according to the mythology, the high priest, the Kohen Gadol, used to go on the holiest day of the year, Yom Kippur, into the holiest holies, the innermost sanctum of that ancient temple where the Ark of the Covenant and the the Ten Commandments were. And he would go in there by himself with a rope tied around to his waist. Talk about a high-stakes situation. On Yom Kippur, the holiest moment, the holiest human, in the holiest holies, and he would pronounce this name. Now, each one of these letters is what's called a breath letter. And what my rabbi taught me is that on Yom Kippur, when he would go in there, that what he would do is he would take one long in-breath and then out-breath, hey. And that the name of God is when we breathe in and breathe out. We breathe in and we breathe out. That is absolute presence. And this word itself is a combination of all three tenses of the verb to be, was, is, and will be. All three tenses are, are distilled into this single word, right? That God is beyond space and time. God is, was, is, and will be, and to experience that holiness, to understand our place in the divine and in the universe, we come into our bodies and we come into our breath. You know, sports cards, pop culture, 1984 All-Star Game. obscure mystical interpretations of the holiest name of God. Well, you don't know what you might get on this podcast, but you know, I am a rabbi. I do have those rabbinical student loans to, uh, (laughs) to pay off. I may as well use the, the education here with you as well. Question though. So this holy of holies, this inner sanctum where only, only the high priest would go. And even then he would only go once a year. The question that always lingers for me is if no one ever went, in the Holy of Holies, except for the high priest. And even he would only go in once a year. My question for you is who kept it clean? Who was the cleaning person? Because you know it would get dusty out there, Judean hills, ancient Jerusalem. Come on, man. Dust blowing. Who kept the Holy of Holies clean? (laughs) It's like, so only the high priest would go in except for... Florence, who used to dust in there every Friday before Shabbat. (laughs) All right. Bring it back. Next to Chet Lemon in center field. In right field, Reggie Jackson, who is making his first appearance in the outfield since August 31st, 1983. Only a DH at that point. Next is Lance Parrish, the catcher from Troy, and on the mound, making his second consecutive all-star start, Toronto right-hander Dave Steve, who was a winner in the 1983 game and is one of the, the forgotten studs of baseball in the 1980s. Steve takes the hill. Tony Gwynn steps in in what was the first of what would become 15 all-star game appearances. Man, 
at the time. He's leading the National League with a 355 batting average. Would go on to hit 351 on the season, thereby winning the first of what would be eight National League batting titles. Steve delivers, takes the first pitch for a called strike, and then the camera cuts to Joe DiMaggio. This is a screen grab from the YouTube. I wanted to share it with you. If you want to see it, it is at minute 34 and 42 seconds, 34 and 42 camera flashes on Joe DiMaggio. And, and then Howard Cosell makes this sound that is, uh, I, it's a combination of, whoa, oh, ah, kind of like, wow, it's amazing. Cosell loses himself when he sees DiMaggio. Al Michael says, Mr. San Francisco. And then Howard continues, incredible man. Every passing year grows more handsome. And truly, you know, Howard's right. Look at him. White hair swept up and back. Dark suit, dark tie. Crisp white shirt, pale yellow cardigan sweater underneath it all. Looks like, you know, a little nuisance of a little cameraman sticking a camera in his face. Judging by the light. And by the angle of their bodies sitting there in the seats and the the not-so-steep angle of the seats, it looks like Joe DiMaggio is sitting somewhere between home plate and the third-base dugout, which would have been in full shade at the time, looking away from the camera. But, man, Joe DiMaggio. You know, and I was just like, oh, I'm going to get Jackie Moore, base coach. And it was very, it was very... Not that expensive to put together the the eighty man master set. Even the even the big boys, the thirty five diamond stars, Carl Hubble, nineteen forty play ball, Hank Greenberg. They weren't they weren't back breaking. But when Joe DiMaggio flashes for all of two seconds, this little eighty card master set PSA grade project got a little bit more expensive. Before we move off of this picture of DiMaggio, I want you to take a look at the guy sitting next to him. Because to me, the guy sitting next to him is uh, one of the great, great unsung heroes of the 1984 All-Star Game. What does he look like? He's probably in his 20s, right? African-American, super happy smile, leaning in with him just like... I just imagine, like, yeah, we're going to the All-Star game. That's yeah, amazing. Oh, my God, look at these seats. They're walking. You're in really good seats, kind of doing a Bob Euchre. I must be in the front row. You just keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going, getting closer and closer and closer. And like, oh, my God, yo, Maurice, these seats are amazing. And you go, and you're, like, working your way down the aisle, and you're, like, say to your friend, yo, yo, man, I, I think that's Joe DiMaggio. Not not gonna set Joe No, man, that's Joe DiMaggio. Sure enough, this guy not only does have the most killer seats ever, didn't know he was gonna be sitting so close to the field. He's sitting next to the Yankee Clipper at the All-Star game. He's sitting next to Joe DiMaggio. No wonder he's smiling from the deepest reaches of his soul. You know, to this day, he's like, listen, man. I once sat next to Joe DiMaggio, 84 All-Star game. Oops, told his children. His grandchildren, his great grandchildren. Oh my God, whoever you are, you are one of the heroes 
of the game. You stole the moment right next to the great Joe DiMaggio. I hope you treasured sitting next to Joe DiMaggio as much as I treasure seeing you sit next to the great Yankee Clipper. <laughs> oh my goodness, man. What a career. 13 seasons with the New York Yankees. Every single one of them, a 13-time AL All-Star, nine-time World Series winner, three-time most valuable player, misses 43, 44, 45 to serve in World War II. What a what a career show, DiMaggio. Mm, mm, mm. So this is a very exciting moment for me. I get to share with you my Joe DiMaggio card. When looking at Joe DiMaggio cards, doesn't have a huge catalog from his playing days. 38 heads up, very expensive and kind of goony. Like if it was cheap, I might like it more, but for the price, eh, not that awesome. 39, the portrait, almost looks like a, just like a photo that you put in a photo album. Not bad though. Not bad. I thought about getting that one reasonably priced by Joe DiMaggio standards. The 40 play ball, the black and white play ball, him swinging, little AL pennant on the bottom left, good cooking card. The 41, the 41 DiMaggio, the 41 play balls. Probably his greatest card, but for it to really be a card I'd want, I would need it in a really high grade because it's super crude. It's painted, but the guys are small, so the painted over photographs they look like DiMaggio. Look, his face looks like a melted candle, uh, and in the price range I could afford. I mean, sure, if I was going to get like a five thousand dollar card, that's for this card, no way, man. So. I really went back and forth. I thought maybe I'll get the 39 play ball, but the card I went for, I think, is um, for me, his best card. I went for 1948 or 49, depending on who you talk to, Leaf, Joe DiMaggio card one. I get the uh, argument for why this is actually a 49 set. It's possible it was released over two seasons this is just a beautiful card i know you can't see on the podcast but the green is spectacular fantastic centering that little, like blue sleeves pops great registration these are so ugly sometimes they are they're just terrible the the, the printing they're just blurry kind of make you like nauseous looking at it but this one has fantastic clarity and it's a psa 1.5 why 1.5 you say well in the bottom left hand corner there's a, a crease that goes through the corner there's a little bit of paper paper less like schmutz just above it there is the registration is a teeny bit off on the jersey you can see a little line that goes around the outside of his body but the registration where you'd see it in his face in the bat in his body is it's perfect and then you cannot see this at all. You can only see it if you're on a giant mag lamp 40X. There is a tiny, tiny hairline crease that starts to the right of the card and kind of goes through a little bit of his white jersey. But, I mean, if it's a one, of five, one and a half, this is the kind of one and a half I want always and forever. This card completes the 1984 all-star master set 
the 80th and final card in the collection, and I could not be happier. Let's flip it over. Oh my God, this is one of this is a top 10 card in my collection. Uh, one that um, there are cards you get a mail day and just kind of put the card away, like, ah, okay. And then there are cards you take and you sleep with them at your bedside. This is a nightstand card for me. This is one that I, I take out and I look at, and um, it's gorgeous. I mean, look at the centering on that thing. Wow. The color, the registration. Top, top notch. Mm, mm, mm. Whew. Got my heart beating on that one. I get so excited. On Friday, this Friday's episode is going to be a special one. Now that the master set has been completed, we're going to set up in a different part of the cave, and I'm going to show it to you. I'm going to show you the 80 cards all displayed, run you through them, have a good time. So we're going to do something different on Friday, celebrating the silver show the episode 25 man already on 25 to celebrate the completion of the master set man all right owen one on gwyn hits a bouncer whitaker up with it on to first one away ryan sandberg batting second he comes up to the plate having a monster first half this is to be his First all-star game on his way to the 1984 National League MVP. Al is talking about how Seinberg is coming on, having a huge first half, enjoying the nationwide coverage on being uh, being shown on Superstation WGN. He mentions that Sandberg overtook Steve Sachs, who was the 1982 Rookie of the Year, started the 1983 All-Star Game, had a pretty decent career for himself. Steve Sachs ends up being a five-time All-Star, played for, of course, the Dodgers, also the Yankees and the White Sox. A couple things. I first want to show you a couple Steve Sachs cards I pulled out specially just for you. I've got his 1982 Don Russ. I like that card. That's his. I see. That's a rookie card to me. It's his rookie card. Played on the '81 team. Wasn't the main guy. Dave Lopes, a second baseman. He'd win the '82 NL Rookie of the Year. Good looking guy. My uh, dad's friend John Welch for a long time was married to a woman named Barbara, and Steve was, I believe, a nephew. Anyway, Steve Sachs going to show you side by side his 1982. Future stars, L.A. Dodgers, he, Ron Renneke, and Mike Marshall on one card. All three made the show. Ron Renneke, brother of Gary Renneke, fabulous mustaches, both of them. Sachs is a good ball player. Remember when Steve Sachs got the yips? Remember? Sachs and Chuck Knobloch. They couldn't make that throw to second. That actually happened, uh, what year was that? That was 19... Like that was 83, actually. It was called Steve Sachs Syndrome. And the way he got out of it, actually, according to the story, was his father, who was young, right? His father, his father was dying. He ends up dying at 47. And he goes and sits with his father. And, and he has a heart-to-heart -heart with, with his son. He tells his son, Steve, like, listen, this, this isn't a mental block. This is just it's a loss of confidence. And you got to get out there and just do it and do it and do it until you get your confidence back. And, and Sachs credits that really bedside his father's bedside as he lay dying conversation for really conquering this this challenge that he had who couldn't make that short 
throw to first. One more thing I want to show you about Steve Sachs. You might not know this, but boy, I remember it just like it was yesterday. Season two, episode 24, 1983. Steve Sachs was on an episode of Who's the Boss, starring Tony Danza. There he is in his little celebrity still. You got Danza pretending like he's sliding in. Sachs making the tag. And who's right there standing between them? That's Bob Euchre. Also on the same episode was Billy Martin. This is what's in my head. Indeed, I happen to remember my wife's birthday, which was last weekend. But her birthday vibes with that Steve Sachs had one line on this episode of Who's the Boss? And he said, I'm Steve. I played the sax. Yeah. Well, who's the boss reference for you? Because that's what we do at the Rated Rabbi. We bring up obscure. And we'll take a moment to pause for Alyssa Milano. <sighs> Samantha. Angela. Mona. Uh, Tony Danson, man, he had a heck of a career. Not much range, but a lot of depth. All right. Sandberg steps in. He is at uh, the play. First pitch hits a broken bat, broken bat grounder to Lou Whitaker for out number two. And then the boos come cascading down. Steve Garvey steps in. We still hate him from his time in L.A., Lines first pitch foul, 0 and 1. Then lines a base hit to Reggie in right. Of course, the guy who hasn't played defense in a year, balls hit right to him. Reggie boots it right off his left shin, left ankle. Ball bounces away. Garvey makes it to second. Single and an E9 with Garvey on at second base. The two time reigning MVP, Dale Murphy, steps in. Whew, Murphy leading the NL 20 homers at the break, trailing only Oakland Athletic Dave Kingman who is not at the game. Fouls back a pitch, then takes a called strike to make it 0-2. And, and then he then he kind of reaches out on this pitch and pulls it to left. Murphy kind of pulls it into the hole. Winfield comes up charging, right? It's going to be a base hit. Garvey's rounding second with two outs. Winfield, he's got to be in, in like a minus five arm. In right up there, Dwight Evans, Ellis Valentine, Dave Parker, yes. Dave Winfield comes up, charges, Garvey rounds. Not a great, not a great pitch. We're not that fast. You see big old Tommy Lasagna waving him around third. Gonna be a play at the plate. The old days where the catcher used to block the plate. Perfect. One hop. Parrish grabs the ball, goes to make the tag, takes his eye off the ball and drops it. Light collision. Carvey kind of misses him, rolls across, scores. And again, a single this time and an E2. So now the National League leads one to nothing, two outs, and Murphy standing on second base. Mike Schmidt comes up, takes the first pitch for a call strike from Steve, a breaking ball for one and one, then a slider, swing and a miss, one and two. Pitch high to make it 2-2, two, two, and then the sick breaking ball by Steve, by Steve. And Schmidt waves at it. Parrish drops it, picks it up, throws him out to end the inning. At the end of one, National League, two hits, one run, two American League errors, and a leading one to nothing. And we go to commercial break. Commercial break. First one we see. 
This guy, remember this commercial, the Gillette Atra Advantage. It's like, how can a guy 5'9 have an advantage over all these guys? This little like basketball player. He looks old enough to be a professional. Let's say he's not an amateur. He's a pro. Guys behind him in the locker room shaving. Look at the guy over his left shoulder on the right side of the screen. The guy's not even fit. <laughs> oh my God, look at Like, listen, I'm, I'm not Johnny Sixpack, but. I'm also not taking my shirt off in a commercial. So it's some kind of pro basketball team. And look, all the guys on the team, they're all white. Oh, you remember in 1984 when there was only white guys in the NBA? Holy guacamole. Sometimes a little advantage goes a long way is what I'm thinking. Let's run down. Speaking of NBA, let's run down the racial breakdown of the all-NBA first team in 1984. So we're going 83-84. First team, Patrick Ewing. That's that's actually NCAA. Start with the NBA. Isaiah, Matt Johnson, Bernard King, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Larry Bird, four out of five. Now let's do the NCAA All-Americans. Patrick Ewing, Michael Jordan, Akeem Olajuwon, Sam Perkins, Woman Tisdale from the first team All NBA, first team All American. Nine of the ten are black. One is white, of course. Larry Bird. This commercial, they're like everybody's white. It's a little strange thing to me, you know. I just, I do think the representation matters, right? I'm not looking to make this a a political show. I just want to have some fun. I couldn't help but notice in 1984, I, I never would have seen this, you know, back then. I don't know if I would have seen it 15 or even 10 years ago. But I watch these commercials. I'm like, what was this? What would have been like to someone who's black? You'd be like, wait a minute. Why is this commercial showing a basketball team? And why are everyone white? And then I don't have the clip here, but at the end, he gets surrounded and all the women are not only white, but they're blonde. And we just, I guess we just think differently about this. It all bears mentioning today, of course, being Juneteenth, June 19th, the celebration of the end of slavery two years after the Emancipation Proclamation was declared. It was read in Galveston, Texas. Man, where do we go today? We went all over the place. We did a deep dive, a surprising, unexpected deep dive into the unpronounceable four-letter name of God, the Tetragrammaton. We, oh my God, we had some good times looking at a Jomaggio card and celebrating that that makes card number 80. In the master set, showed you that 4849 leaf. Talked a little. Steve Sachs, Gillette Atra Advantage. Oh man, I'm just having fun here. Whew. I think it's a good place to stop for now. Come on back on Friday. I'm going to show you the master set displayed down in the cave. If you like what you are seeing and if you're laughing and having a good time at what we're talking about, give us a like, give me a subscribe, leave a comment, review, most of all, most of all, most of all, tell somebody, tell a friend, because this is kind of fun and kind of cool. Last bit, if you would like, hold on. If you want. I have Raider Rabbi stickers, and I have one with your name on it. Just let me know, send me a note, and I will get one in the mail on its way to you. Until we see each other again, God willing, this Friday, may you 
and those you love and those who love you. Enjoy and be blessed with health and long life. So long for now.